This is the Get Up Eight Podcast with your host, Eric Hodgson. Eric, what is the one thing that you need to remember before you walk in that room? This is what James Butler asked me before I walked into the preliminary round of a speak-off in May of last year. And I remember standing there sweating. My heart was racing. I was just going over and over what was what I was going to be saying for my talk. And, and even though it was only going to be three minutes, <laughs> I couldn't get grounded. I looked over at James and I was actually very grateful that he had cared enough to ask me this. And I just looked at him and said, I just need to remember to be Zoe's dad. And I did feel some tension leave my body uh, right as soon as they called me into the room. Hey, everybody, this is Eric Hodgson, and welcome back to the Get Up 8 podcast, where we unpack the challenges and struggles that come at us in life, and we find unique ways for you to build resilience, to not just survive your struggles, but to thrive because of them. And so about an hour before James asked me that question, I didn't know who he was. In fact, I had been practicing my talk outside of the Cheyenne Mountain Resort in Colorado Springs for a couple of hours, and in between rounds... I found myself taking in the scenery of the foothills of the Rockies that sits uh, where this resort actually sits at the base of these foothills. And it was pretty chilly out uh, that day, I remember, because it was uh, early May, mid-May, and and uh, I just went inside at that point to warm up. And there, James was sitting with his girlfriend, Leanne, and, and they were on some couches in the lodge, and they were practicing their three-minute talks as well. Uh, after after James introduced himself to me and Leanne, we chatted for a few minutes and all of us kind of went back to uh, working on our talks and preparing for them. And But when it was time for the speak-off, we made our, our way to the room at the other side of the lodge and all of us, I think all of us were nervous. Our nerves were on edge. And, and when James asked me that question, everything kind of just, you know, slowed down. And of course, until you walked into the room and it was like an American Idol audition, there was a panel of judges, there was cameras, there were lights, and the stage was about six by nine. It was a really small stage, and and while none of us made it to the second round of the speak-off, it was one hell of a learning experience in so many ways, uh, when it comes to resistance, when it comes to resilience. And so today, I am really excited to have Leanne with us on the podcast and in the one year since we met, Leanne and I, all of our lives have been transformed in so many ways. Uh, Leanne is a speaker. She's a coach for women to help create the exact lives that they want in the face of their circumstances. And she has an incredible story to share with us today that speaks to the power of resilience. And I'm grateful she's with us and honored that she's gonna that she's here with us. So welcome, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Oh, you're welcome. I think it's awesome. And, you know, I know that, uh, uh, you know, over the last year, we've we've seen some things that have just kind of, you know, elevated us and and, and knocked us down. And, and uh, But I would love for you to take a few minutes and tell the audience about a little bit about who you are and, and a little bit about your story. Cool. Okay. So, um, obviously, since we met... Um, the curveballs that life has thrown us mm-hmm. um, were pretty unforeseen. So um, James passed away about maybe 
what, five months after you met him? Yes. Met us. And um, we had just signed a, a new client that we were going to start an intensive for in Thailand. Mm. So we were going to begin uh, working with him for a year and we were to meet him in Thailand. And the morning that the client was supposed to arrive, well, he arrived, but um, I found James at the bottom of the swimming pool of mm. our villa. And um, so that was about almost seven months ago now. Mm. And um, so much has come to light through reflecting on what happened the months leading up to it, um, my whole life since then. Um, I'd like to say that I'm doing grief very intentionally, mm. like with, with, um, like as soon as I realized what happened, I said to myself, I'm going to make this a contribution to the planet. And I'm going to let this make me be the woman I need to be for the cause that I'm meant to lead. Wow. And I saw it as a sort of, um, in some ways, like a rite of passage into a new realm of womanhood. Because in the moment that I found him, I had to become a whole other level of woman mm -hmm. to try and revive him, try and get him what he needed, try and like all of the things that followed or holding the, the celebration of life, um, everything that followed. And so I chose to do what also what I think he would have wanted me to do, which was, um, have it really be that rite of passage. Cause he mm. was always such a stand that I keep showing people my power. Yes. Um, and so I guess a bit of background story is I've been a big believer like you in using life's crap mm -hmm. to make something golden. Yep. Like three years ago when I was hit by a car and mm. I was in rehab like two or three times a week. And then I had, I've been a yoga teacher for about seven years, but then I started studying yoga therapy mm. and then I started understanding the body and injury. And then I used it to delve into this whole transformation in myself uh, with my relationship to my body mm. and how I heal it, how I ask it, what it needs, how like, it's such a foundational thing. We don't even think about, and I didn't think about on that level until until I got hit, mm. um, uh, you know, or going through, I'm pretty sure every woman has been in some way assaulted or harassed. But when I went through that, I actually started studying. I was in my psychology degree at the time, started studying um, all about sexual aggression through evolutionary psychology and mm. understanding how could I counsel women to get more freedom around that happening to them. And I started asking tons of friends and acquaintances that I knew that were women who actually had gone through the same thing and I never knew about it mm. and started opening up that conversation. And then all of that burst into a huge part of my business, which is about um, women feeling safe in their own bodies. And that leads to even at, like, I'm trying to figure out right now how to actually incorporate this into my business. Um, Cause I want to, and female genital mutilation. Mm. And that is one of my biggest missions. And that was birthed from 
me being assaulted. Mm. And it wasn't so much about me getting stuck on the fact that that happened to me. Right. It was me realizing, oh my gosh, this happens everywhere. What does this mean for humans everywhere? And what can I do about it? Mm, and women right. everywhere, what can I do about it? So um, it's funny because when I first met you and we were in the lobby <laughs> for that speaking, that speak off. Yes. You want to know how I got there? I was with James. Yes. But two weeks prior, <laughs> um, we were always pushing each other, and that was what made us great. But he he was in the bedroom, and he he yelled out to the to the kitchen where I was making dinner, and he goes, "Hey, babe," and I'm like, "Yeah," and he goes, "You know how you wanted to start speaking about uh about this new <laughs> venture you've got," and I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, how big of an audience do you think you, uh, you'd ideally want? And I was like, I don't know, maybe anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people. And he's like, cool. Um, well, you're uh, going to have a chance to do that in two weeks. <laughs> I just signed you up for a speak-off in Colorado. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> and I, was, I was so mad, but so grateful at the oh, same time. Yep. It was amazing. Wow. So that's what got me there. Wow. I, yeah. you know, your, your, your story, first of all, is incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that, Leanne, because I know it's not easy. Um, you've done an incredible job of, of not staying on the ground, uh, you know, staying with, because this, something like this brings you to your knees. I felt the same way when I lost Zoe and it was almost immediate where I knew when I was looking around at the people around her friends, my family and other people that were like, what just happened? How, what do we, it's, it's almost as if it's like, you know what, we're, we're in this together and we are going to get through this together. And there's going to be just more than that. It's not just going to be surviving this. We're going to find a way to get back to our better days. And you said something earlier that I thought was really profound. You said, you know, you had to become a new level of woman in that moment. And it was almost like it's like something turned on in your head. It's like, okay, I got to step up. I got to do this, this, and this. And it not so much programmatic because you were doing it out of the love and care for James, but but it it then that was almost like a blossom into what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And it's so powerful that um, that that becomes a tap on the shoulder, a moment for your life that I think um, uh, a lot of people might not recognize. Um, cause it is, uh, there's, we have every right to just wither away, go back upstairs, you know, in our beds and just keep our, our shades closed and not do anything. But, but that doesn't feel right when there is so much work that can be done. And, uh, you know, you said also too, you like, I'm not going to get stuck for me, but I'm going to be you know, open for others. I'm going to help other people. And, there is such power in that for our own healing process. So no matter what it is that we go through in life, um, I think that the more that we focus on other people around us, that's where the true healing can begin because it comes back to you tenfold. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had to, I had to confront that my first instinct was to just focus on other people Mm. and how there was a, a helpful and non-helpful component to that. So I was constantly holding space for other people mm. and, you know, James impacted a lot of lives. He was yes. close to a lot of people 
And um, so even when I decided to hold the celebration of life at my house, that was the second celebration of life because the first one was in Ontario where he was from and yes. raised. And and that was a lot of like his, when he was younger, the people there that came. And then at my house, I helped, I chose to hold it in our home, in our new house. And it was 70 people came. And um, I noticed that I shut off and I was just making sure everybody else had what they needed. Right. And in some ways that was good. And in some ways it just meant that it made it impossible for other people to be able to tell what I needed and right. be there for me. And um, the next day I led um, James's family and some of his closest friends down James's favorite hike <laughs> to his favorite beach and held a, like a goodbye ceremony. And nice. I, and I, and I ran it. I, I, you know, brought them down the hike and ran put everybody in a circle and I hosted it and I made sure everybody said what they needed to say. Mm. And I hiked them back up. And afterwards I was like, Oh my God, I'm just like this hangover of holding space for yeah, others yeah. because at the same time um, it's sometimes easier to escape through helping those who, you know, also need it. Right. And I had to learn um, part of what makes a powerful woman is when she acknowledges that she just needs to receive. Yes. And that so was, that was just one of the most painful realizations and so part of my grieving process has been um, how to make this a contribution because mm -hmm. that's what I'm committed to, of course. But then the other part of me was like, I got to learn how to just stop right. and, and be, you know, like spend time in his clothes in bed and having all the blinds closed and not taking any calls right. and, you know, all of all of the gross, messy stuff that right. just you just need. Yes, you definitely need for, to go through that stuff. Mm -hmm. You absolutely do. What, a question for you, though. Do you think that uh, you need to, or do you think you are re obligated to pick up James's torch, what he was doing? Such a good question. Such a great question. So um, the morning that James passed away, mm -hmm. um, I called my spiritual mentor, um, he, James actually introduced me to him <laughs> as well, like six months prior. Mm. And, um, I called him right away and I said, um, I don't know what the belief system is of the people listening or you, but I called and I said, this is what happened. I need to know that James is okay. I need to know, like, just, just connect me to him. And at the time I wasn't even fully sure what I believed, but mm -hmm. When you go through something like that, yeah. your belief system just it it gets upended. It, it gets abundant. Yeah. <laughs> so and it gets upended too. I mean, yeah, you know, where things just kind of get turned upside down too. Sometimes you know, yeah, it, it, and yes, it 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 becomes abundant with whatever is going on in your mind. <laughs> yeah. So um, he said, "Yep, he's okay," and he he finds it important to tell you that you don't owe him anything. Mm. And I didn't understand in a second what that meant. But then as the week continued, because I had to stay in Thailand, I stayed, chose to stay in Thailand and make sure, you know, like that the autopsy was, he was actually sent to like a reputable hospital, mm -hmm. hospital or that the embassy had all the information. And that was crazy to handle that sure. on the other side of the world. But um, it started occurring to me that I was, you know, through handling all these logistics, well, what about reclaiming warrior, his company? Right. And 
do I like, I so believe in, in what he did. And personally it's, I believe it's not done. Like mm-hmm. that works not done. Right. The world still needs him. So I was like, well, do I want to carry his torch? Do I, do I want to do this? And, um, and I decided to sit with it. And the answer that came to me was do your own work mm-hmm. and you're somehow going to honor what James was about, but in your own way. And, um, but it's not through leading expeditions with men on, you know, in Patagonia, it's not through like, that's not my natural self-expression. Right. And that would just be weird. What James really stood for was men connecting to their heart and men, um, really questioning what kind of legacy they want to leave. And so if I can accomplish that, but in my natural self-expression, it doesn't matter what happens to reclaiming warrior. It's more Mm. about that the job gets done. That is so, that is so cool that in a way I, cause I feel the same thing um, has happened with me and Zoe. Zoe was, Zoe's 15 years old when she took her life. And I feel like I, I'm doing her work and I get reminded by some people like, no, no, you're doing your work. It's just that she was kind of the influence for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but for you, it's such a powerful thing that you find that there's going to be some sort of incorporation of reclaiming warrior moving forward uh, mm-hmm. in some whatever way. And that will emerge with what your movement is. And, mm-hmm. and, and it may even be <laughs> women reclaiming their inner warrior, you know, or, or whatever that may be. But uh, I just think it's so powerful that, that you're honoring his legacy that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was one thing that obviously his movement was, was uh, you know, what, what legacy do men want to leave? He clearly left a legacy that was enough for you to say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do with this. Um, and that's probably the best way to honor somebody that we've lost is mm-hmm. to find a way to take their message and, and, and let the world know what is really out there, what, you know, what, what this is all about in, in, in our loss, there is life. And I like to say that, uh, you know, there's a crater when, you know, the impact crater, when something like this happens, it's at first it's gray and it's, it's just it's like volcanic. It's just not, there's nothing there, but over time, uh, there are gifts that do appear that we, we don't necessarily, we're not handed these gifts when death takes somebody from us. Um, it has to leave something behind. This is what I believe. It has to leave something behind for us. It just doesn't have to tell us what it is, where it is and how to get it. But Mm. when we find that, and I believe that we find that through our doing our own uh, or living into our own greater purpose, uh, or even honoring the people that we've lost, that's where the gifts are. That's where the gold is. That's where the flowers start to grow around the crater. Mm-hmm. And and now you start to see life differently. There's beauty all around you. There is that abundance that you were just talking about, you know, that, that, uh, that it's there. It's really there. And, and it's okay if it takes time for you to get to that space. Uh, yeah. everybody's different. There's no timeline for working through something really difficult, whether it's a challenge, whether it is losing somebody, whether it's losing a job, losing a relationship, it doesn't matter. We all need that time where we need to crawl into other people's clothes and, and, <laughs> and stay in bed, you know, like, and, and just, and feel, we have to give ourselves permission to go through that. And I think if we try to repress that and try to keep that down, then there's absolutely, uh, the, the, the growth is stunted 
in a lot of ways from that, from that situation. So, so, and what's interesting that I've noticed about that is in the beginning of my process, any day that I noticed that growth in the beginning, I resisted it, not because I wasn't ready for it, Mm -hmm. but because I thought that would mean that I was loving James less mm-hmm. or not honoring him enough. Right. So if I'm growing and, and, and seeing, you know, the, the, um, the rite of passage or the, like letting that really develop part of me was like, well, wait, this, is he going to know how much I love him regardless of the fact that I'm okay mm-hmm. and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And so I had to give myself permission to be okay mm-hmm. and actually choose that, living well was a greater honor than living with that constant crater yeah. um, and feeling empty and devastated. And um, that's so beautiful. Thanks. And what, what came out of that um, was um, an expanded spectrum of emotions to be with Mm. at any given time. Mm. So it's not that when I'm joyful, it, there's only joy now. Like sometimes I'm present to just pure joy, but a lot of the time there's also just sadness coexisting. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because I've expanded this, like I call it be with. I've, I've heard be with as a term in a lot of different um, psychological and coaching communities, but okay. there's like this, this be with that you get when you try on that everything can coexist. Mm. The, the tragedy yeah. and the devastation and the gratitude and the excitement, whatever I'm feeling day to day, it's not covering up sadness, but it's coexisting with it. And sometimes the sadness subsides mm-hmm. and sometimes it's right there just as strong as whatever I'm excited about. But there's just this um, full spectrum happening all mm-hmm. at once. And when I got that, I could let it all coexist. The pressure lessened of, um, needing to have my sadness consciously present at all, all times so that James would know how sad I was right, or right. that the, like people in the world would know how mm-hmm. sad I am because people have judgments about how you should grieve. Right. right. Oh yeah. And that's been a whole other amazing journey, <laughs> just getting acquainted with other people's opinions about yes, that. Yes. And, um, and then also making sure that um, I let myself feel life fully still like having having grief be something that opens my heart rather than closes it Mm. so that's beautiful and and it's interesting that the way you were describing that because this is literally managing your mindfulness and i just did a talk a couple days ago at a college out in western mass about uh you know some steps that might help some people through if they're dealing with something difficult a challenge or if they lose a, a friend uh in some way um, that when you manage your mindfulness, you are you're detaching yourself from your thoughts because they aren't the same thing. But when we when we think we're our thoughts, we tend to believe that 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 it's all together. That oh God, I'm thinking that I'm not good enough. I, I didn't do enough. I'm not loving enough. Uh, and and that can be overwhelming. And Aristotle said that the mark of an educated mind is to be able to entertain a thought but not accept it. And I love that statement uh, and that quote, I mean, just because it's like, yes, I get it now. It's a, I'm not my thoughts. I, we, we think about stuff all day. I mean, I don't know how many thousands or tens of thousands of thoughts we have every single day. But if there's a, a clump of thoughts that are just 
oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not. I mean, that can, that could just wear you down. But when you are mindful and you realize that you aren't your thoughts, uh, you have clarity like you did. You experience clarity. You start to be able to make peace with the situation. You experience forgiveness, not of just the other person for leaving, but also of yourself for what you perceive you didn't do. And that was a lesson I had to learn after Zoe died. And that came to me in a form of like a, a very brief uh, meditation. <laughs> uh, and then then that opens your heart up to gratitude and abundance. And then you become grateful for what is in your life. And there's so many beautiful things that kind of show up from that. And that's really huge when, when you have that, uh, when you reach that point. Because now you look at other uh, challenges that you have in your process of grieving or your process of mourning or whatever it is that process you're going through that's difficult. And you have just a new set of eyes on it now. Right. So my new set of eyes yeah. that I've chosen is that everything is funny. <laughs> like what's really helped me is like getting the levity of everything. Yeah. Like if somebody cuts me off in traffic like a couple of years ago, I would have been like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, now I'm like, huh, well, life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like with my own thoughts, you're talking about my, like our thoughts and, and managing mindfulness. Yes. My relationship to my, my mind now is not one of like, oh, now I'm thinking all these negative thoughts about myself. It's more like, oh, thanks brain. Like I really can never fully understand you and you keep giving me crap, but like, thanks. Like trash can, trash can. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of like, like you can't resist what just won't go to bed. You just can't. Right. right. So um, there's a levity that I get from just getting that the human brain is this trickster, like mm -hmm. this, this sneaky little genius at making you feel like crap whenever possible, or like the need to survive or anxious or right. whatever. Like it's so good at it. And it's so funny mm -hmm. because it's an old mechanism, but it's never going away and you may nope. as well laugh at it and get some entertainment from yep. it. And so, um, that's really helped bring levity to the grieving process. Like I truly believe that laughing and smiling and, and perspective with play yes. um, has been a key role yeah. in me, in me healing my heart, like allowing myself to laugh and get, get this like elevation up high, being able to look at life and go, man, like I used to think this thing was hard mm -hmm. <sighs> or mm. like, Oh, my thought, my brain is just giving me this thought. Like, Oh, that's so cute. Like, <laughs> mess with me. Like, no, I love today. you. Mean it, you know, type of, <laughs> yeah. that's so powerful. And you said something a few minutes ago, uh, that I just, uh, first of all, I, I love that you're talking about, um, the levity, but you're, what you're doing is you're fighting back against resi resistance. Yeah. And in doing that, and, uh, Stephen Pressfield personifies what resistance is in the book, the war of art. Uh, it's a fantastic book, but it resistance is so cunning. It's like it's like it it comes at you in ways. It's like capillary action. Resistance wants you to procrastinate. It wants you to sit on the couch and watch TV and not go after your goals and dreams. Mm. It's really uh, difficult for artists to beat this type of of resistance because it tells you that 
you know, whatever you're going to be doing, it's just not, uh, you know, it's going to make you angry. It's not going to be good enough. It's all these things that kind of keep you down from, from expressing yourself the way that you are meant to express yourself. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible. So resistance is really huge, but you also said something too. You said you chose to laugh. Yeah. And that is huge. And that is a decision. You know, we have the the same decision. Sorry to interrupt you. No, uh, I, yeah, you go. We had to say, we have the decision to, to, uh, to make whether we want to continue on a life of struggle or if we want to continue on a path to learn how to become more resilient and ready for life's crap that does come at us. Yeah. And notice there would be times when, okay, so on the plane home, like a week after James died, uh-huh. um, I was on the plane and it was like a 22 hour trip the whole time. But I, but I was on one of my flights and I decided, okay, well, like I, honestly, I pulled up my laptop and I just started writing then and there on the flight home. I started writing the book. Mm. And, um, while everything was fresh, I started making notes of everything that James taught me, everything Mm. our relationship taught me, everything I created in the relationship, everything Mm. that about him coming into my life, what I, or we, or he created out of that. I just Mm. started writing it all. Beautiful. And there was a point though, when I just decided I'm going to watch a show, I'm going to watch I'm just going to watch some like show that I used to watch like new girl or something. <laughs> and I put it on and there's this scene where um, like the, the guys in the show accidentally sign up to get their balls waxed accidentally. <laughs> and it shows them like going through this and they're all like howling in pain. And it's this hilarious scene. And I just start, laughing uh-huh. so hard <laughs> and i remember afterwards being like wait whoa was that allowed like it was really weird it was like wait whoa 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 like is it okay <laughs> that i found laughter in this moment like the first time i've laughed in like eight or nine days wow. but like was that was that okay yeah because i saw this ridiculous scene <laughs> and it, i was like you know what like that's Uh, let's, I need to look at that. And I was talking to my mentor again and he, his name's Teo and he's just one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. And he is a crucial, like I, I leaned on him a lot because um, he just had so much gold for me, but um, it came up too, like when when I was allowed to laugh or even when Christmas time came up or my birthday. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. How am I going to make it through? And he said, he said, you can't, you can't make James the excuse for why you don't enjoy life anymore. Mm. That's actually not his fault. Right. Right. And I got how selfish it would be to Mm. choose to like consciously like choose over and over again um, in the times when I do have an option to let go and and let my heart be light. Um, That to not do that would actually be selfish in some moments. And um not to say that I can't ever feel that because man, I really indulged in the grief and still do sure, sometimes, sure. but, but that was a, a key piece for me was getting how selfish it is to only choose the pain and how that like making the person who left responsible for that is selfish. Mm. And um, really it's about, it's about me. Like yeah. James's death isn't about me. James's right. death is about him. If yeah. he made it, 
if he had a, um, I believe he had a very peaceful death. Mm -hmm. Like he was in paradise with the woman he loved and in the water, which was his natural habitat. So, you know, I, I believe that if his, if his process into the afterlife or whatever it is, is what he needs it to be, then I'm over here. And my job is to make sure that he knows I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Yes. So, so true. So I, that was a conscious choice as well to have him know that I'm doing everything I can to show him that I'm going to be okay. And he doesn't have to worry and he doesn't need to feel bad about being taken at the time that he did. Right. So that's beautiful. I, and it's interesting that I had a similar experience about mm-hmm. a year after Zoe died. I was, uh, I, I had a rich, I was in a stuck in a ritual where I would get off the commuter rail train from Boston in the town I live in. And I would get in my car and I would shut the door and I would get about a mile down the road and I would start crying. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so sorry, Zoe. I wish I could have done more. I could have been a better dad for you. I was going through the whole list of things that I think that I was doing wrong and that I didn't save her. I didn't help her. I didn't do things. And there was one day when I got in the car and as soon as the door closed, I started crying. I didn't even get a mile down the road. I just started right away and it just kept on escalating. And then I got about three quarters of the way home. There happened to be a little extra traffic that day. So I was really, you know, I was working this thing crazy. And then it was as if Zoe was sitting in the chair next to me in the car I just heard her voice say, dad, I'm okay. Jeez, stop it. And it was like that snap too. I stopped crying and I started laughing because in that moment, I realized that I was wasting time on this thought process and I wasn't doing anything to serve anybody around me. I was being selfish in that regard of just like, oh, you know, poor me in a way. Um, But it didn't last that long. It was only something I did for myself. And, uh, but it was such a profound transformation of, wait a minute, this is not the way Zoe would want me to be living right now. Yeah. She would be kicking my butt if she knew that I was letting all those good memories from her life stop me from living mine. Mm. So it, it just, it was a huge transformation. And, and I felt like this weight come off my shoulders and like, okay, so the next day when I got in the car, as soon as I shut the door, I turned on the radio station she was listening to, and I got to hear three songs that she knew clearly, and I had that radio blasted. I had the windows down. I didn't give a shit. It was the best thing ever, and mm. I didn't have that that situation happen anymore. So it, it there are those moments that happen, and they happen for everybody at a different point, but it is that breakthrough, and you have to make that choice. I could have chosen not to listen to that voice. Mm, you know, yeah. you could have chosen not to listen to Teo. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, or to no, not I, call him. I have to be. What's that? Or to not call him in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, it is our nature to live. We aren't put on this earth to just survive. Uh, survival mode is supposed to be temporary anyway. Mm. I believe that we have to face these uh, these difficult situations in life not with a, I've got it figured out, I'm going to get through this and everyone's going to be fine, but more of like, it's going, it's, it's, there, is a, there is a light on the other side of this chasm that we can get to. And each of us, for each of us, it's different and sometimes it's a little bit longer. But I think as long as we have a beating chest in our heart, we have the capacity to move forward into a resilient life and to thrive. 
Yeah. So um, I think that's brilliant. And I love that you had that moment. I think those <laughs> moments have been oh, part of my saving grace, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, creating those moments. But um, it's like the conscious choice to open your heart and to grow. Like it's such, it's such a choice. Yes. I kept feeling this pull to just become smaller and smaller and smaller. And the thing was, mm-hmm. I let myself be small. Like mm-hmm. I really did. I, I allowed myself to be small for the amount of time that it was comfortable to be small. And then I noticed like I would have a nudge like, okay, I should probably leave our house now. Mm. So what I did, even when I left our house, like this big, gorgeous house, um, I decided to have a photo shoot in the house because I generated like a mofo to get that house <laughs> and I, to be able to afford that house, like yep. the, the, that house re- represented the woman I want to be for myself mm. and, and the relationship that I want in life, that, like how James and I like got that house. Yes. And so I had a photo shoot of me, like doing my favorite things in the house, like me working in my office, like, mm. or like me making tea or me doing yoga, like things that when I look back at those photos now, I'm like, hell yeah, I created that. I can yep. create it again. And I'm going to remember it for what it was. Cause we had a beautiful life there and I awesome. was happy there. And I even held like, a couple of surf parties there because we live really close to an awesome surf spot or I held like new year's there. I intentionally made sure that even like in between the days that I was bawling and on the floor, Mm -hmm. I had people come into my home and celebrate things with me Mm -hmm. or, you know, celebrating the existence in the house and um, like intentionally creating those memories or um, like I recently, obviously it was traveling for the past two months. Um, I I've had a, Shortly after James died, I realized that I had to start only relying on myself again, right? Like he was such a powerful protector and alpha and I had to go, wait, wait, wait. I have to create everything that I want. There's Mm -hmm. no way, like there's no, there's no partner going like, Hey, I signed you up for a speak off. Right. If I wanted to go do something, I had to sign up for myself. Right. And, um, so before the year before James and I actually started dating, he lived in 16 different countries and he was a nomad. (laughs) And, um, so, and another interesting thing that I promise is relevant is, um, like in the months leading up to him passing away, I got this really weird urge that he didn't have a lot of time left. Hmm. I kind of associated it with the fact that he was a daredevil and he, you know, like swam with sharks and wanted to, you know, do all these crazy things. And, and there were times where I'd be like, okay, just make sure you come home. Right. And um, so then I started, I started subconsciously acting in a way that was like he didn't have time. Mm. So he'd be like, what do you want to do this weekend? And I'd be like, well, if it was the last weekend you had on earth, what would you want to do? Mm. Oh, well, I'd want to skydive. Okay, well, fuck, we're going skydiving then. <laughs> um, or like, babe, what's on your bucket list? well, I want to summit Mount Baker. Okay. You know what? You yeah. got to go summit Mount Baker. And within two weeks he did it. Nice. Um, like there were things that I just, I made sure he, he did these things Nice. and I, I don't really know why, but um, you, you were so, his, and there's a term that I know military guys use. It's your brother's keeper. Um, 
you guys were true partner partners together, you know, and, and you had each other's shoulder all the time. Yeah. And that's so powerful and it's rare. And it's great that you got to experience that, mm-hmm. you know, even if it was for a short time, Leanne, it was, uh, I know that I, I had Zoe here for 15 years. I'm grateful that she was my daughter for 15 years that she lived here and, and I got to be her dad. Yeah. And I know you've got gratitude for being with James too. And, and yeah. you, you, you were there for him in the moments that counted the most in his life. You know, despite all the crazy adventures that I <laughs> made sure he did, I think my favorite thing was there were people in his family that, you know, like everyone, it, it's not specific to him. There are people in our family or in our lives where we lose touch with, or we get in an argument with, and we right. stop talking to them. I had him go back and like heal some really important relationships. Nice. And he went from not talking to them barely ever to talking to them like once a week. Mm. And that was the thing that mattered to me the most yeah. was he was connected. I remember one of our friends called me a week before he died, upset with James about something. And I said, well, you got to call him because when you could die tomorrow. Mm. Wow. And then James died a week later. Mm. And so did they talk? Uh, they did. Great. That's I talked awesome. that day. And yeah. yeah. And um, but what I was gonna say was I went traveling for two months and there was this this moment, um, kind of like the moment you had in the car. Um James, one of he was a mountain man, like mm-hmm. he just loved to summit mountains, and Mount Baker was like a big one for mm-hmm. him. And, um, I was in Guatemala and I had the opportunity to climb Volcan de Acatenango, which is this like 12,000 foot high volcano and takes like two days to climb. And so I signed up and I am trudging through this like quicksand that it is to seriously, it's like quicksand most of the way when you're hiking this volcano. It was, it was a joke, honestly. I was like, <laughs> they did not advertise this correctly. So anyway, I'm this isn't on finally, the <laughs> so the next day I, I slept at base camp and then it's like 4am I get up and I'm hiking again. And, um, that's exactly what James did to hike Mount Baker. Like he got up at 4am and finished that day. Yeah. And when I got to the top, it was, even though it was Guatemala, it was cold. It was freezing. Mm, mm. Actually, there was snow and ice up there. Oh. It was so windy. I had like a scarf over my face. I had a headlamp on my head because it used to be dark. It was the sun was just rising, mm. and I'm looking out onto the view, and there's another volcano out in the distance, and there are all these cities, all these little cities lit up in the morning as wow. Guatemala is just starting to wake up, and I'm well above cloud levels. Yeah. All the clouds are lining around the other volcanoes around and I broke into tears Yeah, and I just, I said like, I get it, babe. I get, I get why you love to be up here. Yeah. And it was this moment of, um, man, I don't know if I would have done this otherwise. Yeah. I don't know if I would have let myself, um, do something this hard, but this, like that, this reminds me of James and, um, the he's, most still, he's still, he's still, he's still having you do stuff. He's still signing you up for stuff. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> wow. Leanne, this has been an incredible conversation and I, I definitely want to have you on again uh, mm-hmm. to either continue this conversation or even another one. But um, before we finish up here, I'd love to know what's the one thing 
that people need to remember before they go back out into the world. Just like James would ask us, what's the one thing that you need that we need to remember? Okay. So I'm actually going to quote James because this has become one of my mottos. Awesome. James always used to say, sign up for the thing and then become who you need to become in order to fulfill on it. Mm. And what I've noticed is that I've allowed myself to keep signing up for things, trusting that I will become the woman I need to be, the person I need to be in order to fulfill on that thing. Like I just book a pl- I just booked a plane ticket to Paris <laughs> and I'm going to be spending, I don't know how much time in Europe, right? But yeah. like I, I declared that I'm going to be the woman who can go and travel Europe. I'm like, or see whatever comes of that. I don't really know, but I've bought the plane ticket and now I'm going to go create the person that I'm needing to be to go do what I want to do. So the one thing that I need to remember and that we all need to remember is to sign up for things in life and then go intentionally create the person that's going to be fulfilling on that. Mm. You don't have to know right now. You don't have to know right now. You've got to sign up. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so good. And I think that is the perfect place to land this. Uh, thank you so much, Leanne, uh, for being on today. What a tremendous conversation. What a tremendous spirit you have. What a tremendous spirit James has. And not, I, I will never use that in the past tense. Just like totally. Zoe always yeah. has, not had. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us before we finish up here, you know, what are some things you've got going on? Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Do you have some projects that are in the works besides the trip to Paris, which sounds phenomenal, by the way? <laughs> Um, totally. Uh, thanks for asking Eric. Um, well, as I mentioned before, I started writing it literally days after James passed away, but I'm writing a book Mm. and, um, my goal is to have that out by the end of this year, the end of 2018. Okay. That's, that's my declaration. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, um, that's not only going to be about my story with James and how we created such a tremendous love story and partnership, but also about what it takes to um, intentionally create the woman that you want to be in the face of adversity. Mm. And um, so strong, so powerful. Thanks. And um, I'm also creating a new program right now, uh, which it's the same as kind of the same as always, but obviously I'm a new human being now that I've gone through this, you know, like I've had to make shifts and pivots in how I coach in and what I offer because of, like there's just a new human being standing here. Right. And, um, but it's like a new program for coaching women on how to be the heroine for their lives, Mm -hmm. depending on themselves to be the fighter, the creator, the, the matriarch, everything that they can be to create the life that they really love. And circumstances just don't matter. Mm. They really don't. Um, and I'm also working on a a program for youth girls. So I, one of my biggest passions in life Mm -hmm. is to make sure that girls don't have the high school experience that me and so many, probably all girls experience Yeah, and that high school be something that allows your inner heroine to come forth rather than be the subject of, you know, just high school crap drama, all of that. Um, so that's, that's what I've got coming up. Those programs. That's so cool. That's 
all three of those torches are so powerful, Leanne, and you are going to make such a huge impact with the women in this world that need to hear that message. What What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, you can go to my website, even though it's under construction, I still have a way for people to contact me. Okay. So if they, if they just go to leannamanda.com, there's still a contact me um, uh, link that they can click. Okay. Um, and uh, you can email me at hello at leannamanda.com. Wow, thank you. That's perfect. I will make sure that all that information is in the show notes. Leanne, thank you again for being on the show today at the podcast. And, and uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Me too. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you for having this podcast. Thank you for letting it exist. And thank you for um, making your life about contribution and, and helping others transition through difficulty into resilience. And I just so acknowledge your huge, huge heart. And I love well, you. Thank you. And I think just yeah. like what James asked me, I just have to remember to be Zoe's dad and everything mm-hmm. will be fine. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Get Up Bait podcast. My name is Eric Hodgson, and I invite you to go to erichodgson.com where you can find great free resources to help you start thriving today. Also, be sure to check out my upcoming event in Boston this June, Get Up Bait Live. And don't forget to pick up your copy of A Sherpa Named Zoe, How to Walk Through Grief and Live with Intention.